0: Daniel Moore had never heard of pickleball, but his father, Scott, told him that they were going to become national champions. And they did just that in 2014, winning singles titles on the same day. Fast forward a few years, and Daniel doesn't play as much pickleball as he used to because he's involved in many other aspects of the game. But today, he does take the time to discuss how to hit and return the spin serve. So let's get to the intro to hear from Daniel. Welcome to the Pickleball Fire podcast, where it's all about pickleball. Today, I'd like to welcome to the Pickleball Fire podcast, Daniel Moore. How are you doing today, Daniel?
1: Great. And how are you?
0: I'm great, too. And Mm -hmm. I have been so looking forward to having having you on. I've talked to your father, Scott Moore, a couple times. And I'm actually curious as to who first heard about and started playing pickleball? Was it you or him just kind of interested in in your origin story?
1: Well, I have to give him the credit there. He started first and he got me into it. He kind of started playing recreationally in Colorado Springs and I was kind of in college and then living, I lived in Africa for a while, right after college. And I came back to the States and he said, there's this, crazy game called pickleball, and we're going to become national champions. And I was like, what the heck is going on? I, I don't even know what the sport is and what you're talking about, but I was doing a few things and had time to train for the national tournament. So we trained together every day and became singles national champions on the same day in 2014. So that was kind of our beginning into the pickleball world, I guess.
0: Congratulations on that. I know you've had tremendous amount of success in the sport. Are you playing as much now as you used to? Because I know you travel and and do so much in the way of teaching.
1: Yeah, so I I don't play as much professionally anymore. I actually live in Japan now. And I have actually since 2015. And I had kind of gone back and forth playing pro tournaments in the States and then living and uh, guiding tour guiding in, in Japan. But yeah, I think now kind of with the pandemic too, that was part of the reason, but also the level of pickleball is getting so much higher that you have to do it full time. Now, I think you can coach and play, but you have to pretty much do that single-mindedly to be at that top level. And as you mentioned, I just have a few other things going on. I, I enjoy coaching and I have my company Pickleball Trips and my teaching series. And I also have a different tour business in Japan, outdoor tours in Japan that I operate. So I love pickleball and I'm definitely staying involved. I want to play more tournaments in Asia once travels back. There's some prize money tournaments coming up there, but yeah, to go back and forth to the States all the time, like I used to, is just a little bit difficult and kind of have a little too much going on to stay at the top level of the pro circuit. So that's kind of my status right now, I guess.
0: One of the things I've done here recently too, is I've partnered with the International Federation of Pickleball and Pickleball Fire has become their official magazine. So since you're talking about pickleball in Asia and Japan specifically, tell me a little bit about how it got started over there and were you involved in that at all?
1: Yeah. So I was involved with starting Pickleball. I mean, I I was the one that brought it to Japan and I also helped launch it in China. They hired me to go over for two weeks and train a bunch of coaches that would then go out into schools and universities and then just train other people, but more directly involved with starting it in Japan. When I moved back late 2014, early 2015, I wasn't really sure what I was going to do with it or how we were going to launch it, but I got together a few friends and people involved in tennis and said there's this sport and it's getting popular in the states let's try to get it going in Japan and it slowly just kind of grew from there i mean it's take 5 6 years to really get it off the ground but i think we're up to about i want to say about 20 different clubs throughout Japan now there's probably 1500 players something like that. That's compared to the States, that's still nothing. But I feel like we're just at the beginning of that snowball effect and uh, we're really trying to grow it. And we have some schools that we're getting it into and colleges and mostly like the States, it's a lot of older people too. I think we're in a good place and, and it's just kind of Getting going, I think in Asia, I mean, in the rest of Asia, there's China, Taiwan is big, India, Thailand, Singapore, and I've traveled and taught in pretty much all of those places. And I can't take credit for starting it, but I'm trying to take them to the next level, I guess. They don't really have the high level competition or players. so. I'm trying to train younger players and just show them this is what pickleball can be. And this is that next level. And I I know there's the potential there. There's the population and there's the paddle sports background. So I think in the next few years, there's really going to be some high level pickleball coming out of Asia. And I'm excited to be a part of that.
0: Right. I was talking with Megha Kapoor from India, and she was saying it was a very different crowd really. In in terms of the age group, it seemed to be more people mid-20s into their 30s playing the game. Is that more like how it is in Japan?
1: I think we have a pretty big mix in Japan. The nice, I, I don't know if you want to call it the nice thing, but the interesting thing about Asian pickleball right now is that It doesn't have that stigma or reputation that, oh, pickleball is like a senior sport because in the States, it kind of, I mean, it's changing, of course, but I think it started as, oh, you know, that's the senior sport and maybe it's not as cool for younger people, but it totally doesn't have that at all in Asia because no one knows about it. We don't really market it as a senior sport. We say it's for everybody. Three generations can play together on the same court and have a good time. And yeah, I think there's a really good mix and who knows what's going to happen from here. I mean, it's, it might be out of our hands who starts playing, but yeah, it's kind of cool to see just it develop in Asia and not necessarily on the same trend line that it does in the States. So we'll see what happens, I guess.
0: And it seems like the sport would have a m- much greater chance of growing faster because it's appealing to all generations.
1: Totally. I think the the great thing, and th- this is what I say to people in Japan too, the great thing about pickleball is it's really easy to start, but it takes a lot of time and effort to get better. It's really easy to get people hooked and addicted And then they want more and they want to learn and they want to take lessons and they they want to spend a lot of time out there. I think that's what people, that's what gets people really interested because it's such a deep, strategic, mental sport. And I mean, we're seeing the same thing in in Japan and the rest of Asia. I mean, people just get totally addicted and there's people that play six, seven days a week in Japan right now too. So I, I think that's really cool.
0: That's great to hear. That has so much appeal everywhere. And you had mentioned that you do a number of tours in Japan and you've also got pickleball trips. So is that kind of taking people from the U.S. and bringing them to Japan or other parts of the world? Tell me a little bit about that business.
1: Yeah, so we started pickleball trips. I was living in Japan, like I said, from 2015 and I was working as a outdoor adventure tour guide in the mountains, taking people on hikes and long walks. And I was playing pickleball professionally in the States at the same time. And I kind of said, why, why don't I combine these two elements? and try to bring people over to Japan from the States. And then we can kind of help launch pickleball in Japan as we tour the country. And I can show people a great time and places that they would never go on their own and have this common language of pickleball with Americans and Japanese people. And so that was the start of pickleball trips and we didn't call it that yet. We just did one or two Japan tours a year. And I thought that was kind of going to be it and the extent of it, but my brother in 2018 decided to join and we said, oh, why can't we do this in the rest of the world? And we did Spain, we did Italy, we did some Mexico and Central America trips. And it's kind of just been slowly expanding from there. And yeah, originally the concept was yeah we'll take americans and we'll go all over the world and we'll meet people and play pickleball and we'll go out to dinner afterwards and it's kind of this i guess i guess what makes us different really is that there, there are other people who are doing that but most mostly they just go to a resort somewhere they stay in the resort they have pickleball or tennis courts there that they convert And they don't really go out and see the culture or interact with people from that country, but our concept mostly is to try to actually play with local players. We do some instruction too, but we also combine it with cultural activities and playing with local players. So I think that's really what makes us different. And that's kind of our, our secret sauce is that we, we really try to value those relationships and those. In those pickleball addicts around the world, I guess. And I think our customers really love that. So that's, yeah, that's pretty much what Pickleball Trips is right now. Of course, the pandemic affected us pretty, it was pretty rough and still continues to be. We can't really do as many international trips as as we used to do, but we've actually switched to more domestic trips. So we've added Montana and we're going to start doing Arizona maybe a Northeast fall colors trip and a Tennessee colors trip. And, and then some places like Punta de Mita, Mexico, I just got back from. And in Belize, we rent out a house on the beach that has a private tennis court and play there. Yeah, that's kind of our current offering, I guess, and, and what we're doing. And it's been, it's been a rough couple of years, but I think there's light at the end of the tunnel and we're excited to see where it goes from here.
0: Let's hope so. And I'm going to look forward to one of those trips because I really... Yeah, love to have you. Yeah, I love the idea of going to another country and rather than just staying in that resort, just getting ingrained in, in the culture. So I will look forward to that hopefully in uh, 2023.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah well, let's see. Uh, 2022 is like, it's just hard to plan because we don't know what, what the travel situation is going to be. But 2023, I'm hoping, crossing my fingers.
0: And you also have the pickleball masterclass. Explain what that is. And did that come out of the pandemic also?
1: Well, um, it actually preceded the pandemic, but our timing, I guess, was really good because we filmed the first pickleball masterclass. We're kind of calling it the skills course. And that's kind of follows our 10 principles of pickleball each shot has a principle associated with it and we just break down the technique and the strategy and the philosophy behind each shot and uh, what you want to do with each shot so uh, we filmed right before i think it was like november of 2019 that we filmed and then of course everything shut down A few months later, but yeah, the pandemic really helped us because people couldn't receive training in person, or maybe they didn't want to travel or they, they just wanted more instruction from home. And yeah, we've actually done pretty well with, we ended up adding another course called the strategy course. Uh, because we're finding the people they wanted that basic skills and that that was maybe a little bit lower level three two five to four oh kind of level but the higher level players wanted something a little more strategy focused and the mental game and you know where to stand in, in different situations and what shot to hit from what spot on the court things like that we added that i think last summer and that's or this summer, and um, that's actually been doing really well too. And we just try to keep adding to it and giving people content that they're looking for. And just, I guess, I guess the nice thing, of course we do clinics in person as well. And that's always great. But the consistent feedback we got was that we, it was really great. We learned a few things, but we just can't remember everything (laughs) that the, the instructor was saying. And so the nice thing about the masterclass is that you can keep going back over and over. You can review different sections. Maybe you finish it, but then you want to go back to working more on your dink or your whatever the shot is. And I can tell you too, even at the pro level, there's always room for improvement no matter who you are. And so uh, I think that's kind of resonating with people. And that's what they enjoy, that they can just keep watching it, keep improving, keep drilling, and hopefully keep having more fun on the pickleball court, I guess is the ultimate goal, right?
0: Now, before we went live, we were talking about actually the spin serve and return because you were just doing some filming. And I think your filming was probably about the return, but go ahead and talk a little bit about The serve first, and then we can kind of get into the return.
1: Yeah. So I I have to admit, I'll be the first to admit that I definitely have not mastered the uh, spin serve. I can get a lot of rotation on it, but the toss is not consistently in the same place. So I think that's something that I'll be working on as I go back home to Japan in a few days, But yeah, I think the idea, and there's of course, all the talk about what's going to be legal or illegal next year as the rules change. And uh, we can talk about that more (laughs) if if we want, but basically you want to be able to hit a couple different versions of the spin serve and you want to be able to disguise that so that your opponents don't really know which way it's going to spin when it bounces And the whole goal really is to get an easier return. Then you have an easier third shot drop. You have an easier time getting to the net and then hopefully scoring the point. So I think that's something to really remember is doesn't have to be an ace with the spin serve, right? It's just a way to set up the point so that you have a bigger advantage as you get into the actual meat and bones of the point, I guess. And you're not trying to just win the point outright with one shot.
0: Now you had mentioned with the spin serve that you were having some difficulty kind of tossing the ball in the same spot every time. I mean, what are some of the other challenges with that serve?
1: Well, I think one, one challenge is getting enough RPMs rotations on the ball I mean, I think, it just takes practice to get enough of that wrist flick or finger, um, flick to actually get the rotations on the ball so that it's actually jumping when it bounces. Right. If you're trying to do this really complicated serve and you're not really getting much rotation on the ball there's not really much point to the serve. You might as well just hit it normally and get it deeper in the court. Right. I think the other thing is for me anyway, what I, my tendency is to try to really, I I get that flick or that finger snap. And then I try to get more topspin with the paddle and it's a lot harder to get topspin with the paddle because as all the listeners know i'm sure pickleball's the, the paddle's designed not to get too much grip overly try to get that topspin with the paddle face because you just can't get that much topspin and you're going to you're going to miss more so i think you have to try to get the spin with that wrist flick instead of with the paddle face and then i i think the third challenge for me is that sometimes because I'm hitting from all over, because my, my toss is not consistently in the same place yet. The risk is that I'm starting to hit more balls as an illegal serve because my contact point is too high. So I think there's a lot of challenges to work through, but like anything, it just takes more practice. And I think in my teaching too, I always go back to do the basic serve First, just get it deep. That's the number one priority. And then, when you can do that consistently, then you can start adding things like that spin. If you find yourself missing too many of those serves, just go back to the drawing board because that's that's how you win points. It's not by if if you only get it in fifty percent of the time. I think you need to just go back to the more basic non-spin, non-wrist flick serve and get into more points. So that's what I would say
0: good advice and just to yeah. be clear when you're talking about the spin serve you talked a little bit about it, it's really not about the the ball you know spinning as it comes off the paddle it's really about what you're doing with the ball before it hits the paddle
1: right yeah i think yeah again i think a lot of people try to really get more topspin with their paddle but that's more of the riskier. You risk hitting it in the net a lot because you're trying to hit too much topspin with the paddle face. But really most of the work is done before when you spin the ball and then you hit the ball more flat, I guess, when you're actually contacting it with the paddle.
0: Now, I know you were talking about the spin serve return earlier because not a lot of people are have really gotten into that much. And again, this is a serve where you're definitely going to see it at the higher level. So what's the advice that you give to people for the best way to return it?
1: Yeah. I mean, first of all, I'll say it's really tough because if somebody hits a lot of spin on their serve, that ball can jump, you know, several feet sometimes. And if you're not ready for it, you can be caught totally out of position and not even hit the ball. Sometimes I think the first thing that's crucial is to just really keep your feet moving and active. If you're used to just planting and stopping and hitting the ball, I think you have to really work on taking a lot of small steps and not getting too set too early. Just really keep your feet active, keep moving, and then you can react when the ball bounces in a direction that you're not expecting. So that's one thing. I think another thing is to, and this this is true of other serves as well. I see this all the time, but if your backswing is too big, then the, you get caught with the contact point behind you, you get late and a lot of times you're going to miss the serve. So you really have to keep that serve or the, sorry, the, when you're hitting the ball, you try to keep it way out in front of you and small, and that way you can react faster and try to keep the ball in front of you. Don't let it get behind you. And then the third thing I think is that you have to start anticipating which way that ball is going to bounce. So if you, I think most people, the pros, you're starting to see that they can actually spin the ball both ways and they disguise it pretty well. But at most people's level, I'm going to say people can only spin it one way. So it's going to bounce the same way every time. So if you can anticipate and start moving in that direction early, you're going to set yourself up uh, for an easier return. Now, if they can do the spin both ways, you want to try to read that spin and Say, okay, it's going to bounce. He's spinning it this way, so it's going to bounce that way. Sometimes you can't really see that, but you want to try to anticipate as much as possible which way that ball is going to go so that you can start moving early.
0: All right. Well, those are some great tips on both hitting the spin serve and returning it. So I really appreciate that. And I have a feeling after people listen to this podcast episode, They're going to want to know more about your pickleball masterclass. So, where can they find that?
1: If they Google search the pickleball masterclass, they can find that. Sorry, it's I'm trying to find the URL. You can, it's also on highperformancepickleballacademy.com. That's our, that's kind of the, umbrella company i guess for the pickleball masterclass but yeah either high performance pickleball academy or just google pickleball masterclass and you can find that
0: and then is it pickleball and actually, I go ahead add,
1: sorry i should add too that yeah we're going to be doing some sales at uh, christmas and new years we bundle the there's the strategy course and the masterclass if you buy those together it's cheaper you get buy uh, it's buy one get one half off and then on New Year's Day, there's an additional sale that's a little bit cheaper. We're running a few sales. We, you just missed our Black Friday sale, but there are some sales still coming up. So if people want to find that, they can get that there.
0: Perfect. People always enjoy a deal. Right. And then is it PickleballTrips.com for the, the clinics?
1: Yes. Our, we So our clinics, sorry, we call them Camps and Trips. So, our trips are kind of the cultural longer, usually about 10 days, and we'll go to Europe or Japan or Thailand. And that's kind of the cultural tours where we play with local players and travel around the country. And then our camps, they're a little bit shorter, usually four, five, six days. And that's more pickleball intensive, focused training, mostly pickleball, but we still do some dinners out and cultural activities and things. But all of those can be found on pickleballtrips.com.
0: All right. Well, great. It looks like people have a lot of options to train with you or travel with you. So I'm sure that a lot of people will enjoy that.
1: Yeah, we'd love to see all of you on the uh, Trip or a camp or on the master class.
0: All right. Anything else we should know today, Daniel? Let me think. I think
1: my dad mentioned too on his podcast a couple of weeks or whenever his podcast was. But we're actually involved with a new venture. It's called Aspire Sports, and we're building a indoor outdoor pickleball facility. And the hotel is coming later, but it's going to be one of the nicest pickleball resort facilities in the country. We have about 23 pickleball courts. So we're going to be doing a lot of trips and camps, clinics and tournaments there. And even if it's not for that, you can just show up and play. It's in Prescott, Arizona, which is kind of cooler than most of the rest of Arizona. It's about, it's at about 5,000 feet. So it's really nice even in the summer. And in the winter, it's a little colder, but we have the indoor court. It's going to be a really nice facility. We're really excited about it. And it's supposed to be open in April of 2022.
0: Awesome. People can look forward to that too. So anyways, Daniel, great to have you on the podcast. Really appreciate all the offerings in terms of instruction and places to play and and the tips. So thank you for being on.
1: Thank you very much. Appreciate it.
0: Thank you for listening to the Pickleball Fire podcast. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to give it a five-star review on Apple iTunes.